You can stand to your feet with your Bible in your hands or your mobile device. And turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So we look at verses 1 through 9. Praise God for the worship that has already went forth today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 through 9. And what we hold in our hand and see on the screen is the very Word of God. It is marvelous, magnificent, and wonderful. Let's read. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech, and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You may be seated. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, that it will be acceptable unto you, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Speak, Lord for your servants are listening. For those who don't know you, I pray that you would dig new ears and dig new eyes so that they will hear and see you clearly. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, today we are beginning a a new series, marching through the book of 1 Corinthians. And one of the reasons why I'm so excited about the book of 1 Corinthians is because of its diversity. This book covers a broad range of subjects. It covers doctrine. We're going to learn about the Lord's Supper. We're going to learn about the resurrection of Jesus. And it also covers other practical things, like sex. We're going to talk about what, in the eyes of God, is good sex and what is bad sex. It answers questions like, should Christians sue each other and take each other to court? It talks about Christian liberty and freedom. It is a very broad book that is very fun to read and one that will encourage and help us to grow. And I want to encourage you as as we go through this series to do a couple things. Number one, I want to encourage you this week to block out about an hour or an hour and a half of time 
You can do it at, at one time or maybe over a span of time to read through the book. Just read through it. Don't get caught up in different things and, 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 and camp out in one area. Just read through the book so that you can have a, a broad picture of what the book is. Then I want to encourage you to, to take a note. If there is something that you want to come back to later and study, get a pen and a notepad and write those things down. And then maybe for, as we're going through the series, you come back and you revisit it. Lastly, I want to encourage you uh, to know where we end uh, the previous sermon. So that maybe during that week when you have your Bible and you're wondering, what should I read today? I really want to go to God's Word. You can pour over the next 10 or 20 verses that comes up in the book. I think that if you do those three things, you will really be engaged in this series and, and you will learn how to interpret God's Word for yourself. The book of 1 Corinthians, we see in chapter 1, verse 1, um, we see the introduction of the author. It says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. So right off the bat, we see the author introducing himself as Paul. And what does he say? He says, I am called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. So Paul is reminding the church of his spiritual authority. Paul starts off, as he's writing this letter, a very corrective letter, letting the church know that he has been called, not by man, not by the church of Corinth, but by God. That he does not belong to the church of Corinth, and he does not belong to the other apostles, and he does not belong to the, the sisters in the church who, who, who think that they uh, uh, know better or the brothers in the church who's been in church longer. He says, no, I am under the control of God the Father. And this is important that he sets this standard of spiritual authority. This is important that he lets them know that he is a servant of Christ Jesus, not first a servant of the church. See, there's a lot of people confused about that. And there's a lot of pastors confused about that. They, they think that, that the church is the one who called them. Or they think that, that people are the one who called them. Rather than knowing that if you have been called to gospel ministry, you have been called by God. See, when the church thinks that they are the one who employs a pastor or calls a pastor, then they think that they can control him or, or run him. But Paul wants them to let them know right off the bat, I'm going to say some stuff in this letter that you might not like. And I want you to know that I am comfortable in who God has created me to be so I don't have to play the game of get along in order to be secure. He says, no, I'm called by the will of God. Yes, the church has given me an external call and given me a blessing and said, we see this gift in you, but it's God that I answer to. Paul says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, apostle is a special representative of Jesus. During the earthly ministry of Jesus, Jesus set aside 12 apostles. One who was, of course, removed Judas and Matthias in Acts chapter 1 is then placed there. But 12 apostles, 12 special representatives. In order to be this special representative, one had to be with Jesus from the birth of his ministry. And they had to see the resurrected Lord. 
Well, Paul is a special case in that he did not walk with Jesus during his earthly ministry, but he received a special revelation from Jesus as he was persecuting the church. So his apostleship is valid because he saw the resurrected Jesus. He heard his voice on that domestic role. And he will tell you himself that even though he's an apostle, he considers himself to be the least of the apostles. That tells me that Paul is not throwing out the fact that he is an apostle in order to boast. But rather he is establishing himself as a spiritual authority. See, in today's society, we live in a time when people don't believe in authority. And everybody wants a round table. We see this in politics when there is a political figure like the president. And whatever he says, people try to get around what he says by saying he's just playing politics. Could it be that he is speaking as an authority because he actually believes that what he is doing is going to be best for the country? We see people doing all kind of weird things when it comes to to spiritual authority. But we as the church must stand up and know that God has placed authority in the church. He has placed apostles. I'm in Ephesians right now, chapter 2, verse 20. He has placed apostles and prophets. The Bible says that the apostles and the prophets are the foundation of the church. And Jesus is the chief cornerstone of the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10 through 12, he goes on and says, not only is Jesus the chief cornerstone, the chief rock of the church, and not only are the apostles and the prophets the foundation of the church, the one by whom the church was built on, but he goes on and says, but God has given another gift to the church, and it's shepherds, pastors, and teachers. So he is setting up right away for the church a divine authority that is given by God. So this is what I'm trying to tell you today. As we go through the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, it will behoove you not to see this book and the preaching of God's word as suggestions. It will behoove you not to see the pastors when they preach on Sunday morning as your friends who are just trying to tell you some, some things that will just help your life. No, when the word of God is preached by the man of God, when the word of God is preached by a pastor who is walking according to 1 Timothy chapter 3, it is being preached as the authority of God from the man of God. See, some of us, we don't like authority, and we don't want pastors. And I'll be honest with you, some of you call me Pastor Jamal, but I'm not your pastor. I'm not your pastor because you don't listen to when the word is preached. You hear it as a suggestion, as a helpful hint, as something that if it is convenient to me, I will do. But I come to tell you whether you like it or not, boo, if you at Forest Baptist Church, and if you are seeking to move forward in God, then you have to acknowledge that God has given the church a gift, and that is pastors. To do what? The Bible says it. I didn't say it. Ephesians chapter 4, to shepherd. Shepherd means to lead, to feed. Now, we have a problem with that because we know that authority can sometimes be abused. And that's why God talks about a plurality of pastors. It's not one man calling the shots. It's a group of men holding each other accountable to the word of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, called by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes. Paul has somebody with him as he's writing. 
Paul has somebody with him that he's probably dialoguing with as they, as they write the notes, and his name is Sosthenes. Sosthenes we meet in Acts chapter 18. Sosthenes was a leader of a Jewish synagogue. He was not a believer of Jesus Christ until one day Paul came into a city named Corinth and the Bible says that every Sabbath, every Saturday, the apostle Paul preached to the Jews about Jesus. At the end of Acts chapter 18, we learned that this man by the name of Sosthenes, who was a God-fearer but not a Christian, not a Christ follower, he has come to know Jesus so much so to the Jewish uh, men of a town, drag him before the court and beat him. That's the same Sosthenes. How, how do you do with spiritual authority? Do you... Go to a church where you see those who are preaching to you week in and week out as your father in gospel ministry. As the one whom God has placed in order to help manage, motivate, and move you into the mission that God has called you to. Are you a true member of the body of Christ where you sit under the authority of God And you leave the preaching of God's word saying, Lord, help me to love Jesus and to be a valuable member of the church. Paul goes on to do something that's simply amazing in the next few verses. In verse 2, he says these words. In fact, I will say this is supernatural. These first seven verses, uh, even I'll say the first nine verses is supernatural. Paul writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and it's supernatural. Verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth. So even though Paul is establishing spiritual authority, he's saying, this is my church. It's God's church. So when I say spiritual authority, I'm not saying that this is my church or this is the pastor's church. Um, But you need to know this is not your church. This is the church of God. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you. Wow. I give thanks to my God always for you. This is why this is supernatural. As we read this passage, and we read what just Paul just said, he called them the church of God that is in Corinth. He calls them sanctified and saints. He extends grace and peace to them. He says, I give thanks to you always. As we read those words, we would be tempted to think that this church had it all together. We will be tempted to think that this was like the church at Philippi, one whom uh, really was just walking in the spirit. But those who have read 1 Corinthians know that that is not the case at all. The church at Corinth had some serious problems, so much so to one uh, famous pastor uh, when preaching through 1 Corinthians titled his sermon series, Christians Gone Wild. The church of Corinth was straight up tripping. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we read that the church of Corinth is a very divisive and cliquish church. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we read that the church of Corinth looked at people according to the world's standards and not according to God's standards. We also read that they uh, were uh, very much into philosophy and the wisdom of the world rather than the word of God. We also read in, in chapter 1 that they were prejudiced and they practiced classism. That's just chapter 1. We move on and we read in chapter 3 and 4 that the church of Corinth was very puffed up and proud. So much so to the apostle Paul says that you all treat me like the scum of the world. In chapter 5 we read that the church of Corinth was uh, entangled in sexual sin. So Badly that he said that the Gentiles, the pagans, don't even practice this type of sexual immorality. In chapter 6, we read that the church of Corinth had some other uh, sexual issues. Some people were saying that they loved Jesus, but they were going up on a hill and, and, and seeing prostitutes. Other people said, yeah, we love Jesus, those who were married, and they were uh, not sleeping together as a married couple. So we had two extremes of, of sexual confusion, those who were loose outside of marriage and those who were married but who were not helping their partner out. In chapter 6, we see that the church of Corinth, they are suing each other, dragging each other to court in the name of Jesus. In chapter 7, we see that they have the wrong view about marriage. We see that they have the wrong view about singleness. We see in chapter 8 that there were stronger Christians who were causing weaker Christians to stumble by exercising Christian freedoms. In chapter 11, we see that they are taking the Lord's Supper in vain. They were coming to church to get drunk off the wine and the bread. Chapter 11, 12 through 14, we read about how this church was gifted with spiritual gifts, but they did not use their gifts to glorify God. Instead, everything they did was for self-glorification. And if that's not enough, if these things are not enough to show you where this church was, in chapter 15, we learn that they are debating about whether or not the resurrection of Jesus actually happened. When a church begins to deny the very blood, the very source of its power, that church has went wild. In light of all these things, what does Paul say to them? Chapter, four, chapter 1, verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you. That's supernatural. If I was penning a letter to a church that has these problems, I'm not sure if my introduction would be so gracious. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul tells the church of Philippi, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We see that Paul is actually doing that. To a church that he birthed, to a church that he planted, he is still rejoicing over them. 
Paul is teaching us how to love Christians and how to love churches when it's difficult. And we need this. We need to learn how to love our brothers and sisters in Christ when it's difficult. How to be thankful for your spouse when they are tapping on your nerves. How to be thankful for that Christian co-worker when they are working slothfully and slowing up your job. How to be thankful for that classmate who says that they are Christian, but who still curses and swears and makes you look bad. How to be thankful for the church down the street who has all kind of hell running loose and is a black eye to the community, how to still be thankful for them and not join in with the latest gossip. What is the key to loving people when it's difficult? We see it in verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given in you. Given to you. Paul's Way of loving difficult Christians comes because he has the right perspective and a big picture of God's grace. Paul has a a big picture of grace, a big pool of grace that allows him to swim with difficult believers. The grace of God. When we talk about the grace of God, we often talk about it in a very familiar term by saying that it is God's unmerited or undeserved favor. The grace of God is God's unconditional love towards the unlovely. The grace of God is God's, the kindness of God by which he rescues, transforms, delivers, inspires, and heals. The grace of God is God giving hope to hopeless people. Grace is by far the most important concept in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, we see grace manifests itself for the first time when Adam and Eve sinned and are hiding from God. When, when his first kids sin against his word and, and try to cover themselves with fig leaves, we see grace show up because God does not kill them, but instead he kills an animal in their place and covers them. The Christian beliefs, the Christian mindset, the Christian walk is a walk of grace. Grace separates us from Muslim. Grace separates us from Hindus. Grace separates us from every other religion because it says that the God of this universe stoops down and loves people who don't deserve his love. And not only does he love them, but he loves them unconditionally once they've put their faith and trust in Jesus. I'm so glad I'm a grace case. But see, Paul was able to extend grace because he knew that he came to Jesus by grace. Even though he is an apostle, even though God has called him to plant churches and do great things, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. When we don't have a big picture of grace, When we don't have the correct picture of grace, we live in bitterness. We can't can't say hello in the morning to our spouse when we're mad at what they did two days ago. What's up? You didn't say good morning to me. I said good morning to you two days ago. You didn't say it back. 
Paul had a correct view of grace. He knew that all of the Bible hinges on grace. It starts with grace in Genesis chapter 3 and the very last verse of the Bible. Grace and peace be unto you. Let's look at three things that we must remember if we are going to love difficult people. Three things that we must remember if we're going to love difficult people. Number one, we must remember past grace. We must remember past grace. Remember past grace. Verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Paul, even though this church is wild and now, is able to think back until a time when this church was not a church, when these people were not a people. Paul came into the city of Corinth and there was no life, very small life, happening in Corinth. There was Aquila and Priscilla. They had just moved there from Italy, but there was no more life. So he began to preach, he began to teach, and he remembers God saving them from the dead. He remembers a time when they were dead in their trespasses and sins. He remembers a time in which they once walked following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air and the spirit that is now working in disobedience. Paul remembers a time when they were enchained to their own flesh and their own desires. He remembers this time and he says, I give thanks to Jesus because of, because of the grace that was given to you, because salvation did come to you. See, the church at Corinth lived, before they were the church, they lived in a very pagan city. Corinth was a, a city that was built on trade and manufacturing. It was a fairly new city, and that Rome had recently resurrected it and said this is going to be a, our number one trade route biggest city in Greece. It also was famous for the Isthmian Games, which is like the Olympics, so it brought a lot of people in for sporting. But it, it also was known for its prostitution and its religious sensuality. In order to, to worship their Greek gods and goddesses, you had to do some, some weird stuff sexually. So Paul is looking, he's saying, yo, y'all are messed up. This list of things that I'm about to go through, this, this is messed up, but I remember when you were worse off. I mean, Corinth makes Las Vegas look like an Amish community. See, we spend too much time thinking about what a person has done and not enough time thinking about what God has already done in that person's life. That person may be jacked up, but they're not as jacked up as they used to be. Your spouse may work your nerve, but if they are in Christ, if they're truly in Christ, they work your nerve a lot less now than they used to. But we forget about that. We forget about that. Next, Paul points out in verse 4, look at this. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way, that was given in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and in all knowledge. So he's saying, I can give God praise and thanks to you 
Because I remember when God saved you, how he used your spiritual gifts to affirm salvation. He used those spiritual gifts. He says they were enriched. Corinth was a very educated city. Corinth had a a very special gift of of knowledge and being able to communicate what they learned. This was a very educated church. But when God saved them, he used their education and he used their testimony and he allowed great things to happen. The church of Corinth began to grow. So he's saying, I can praise God and give God thanks because he saved you by grace through faith. When you were dead in your sins, following Satan, a slave to your own desires. But I also can praise God because there is a spiritual gift that God has given you. And I remember seeing it at work. Second thing we must remember. Not only must we remember past grace when someone is getting on our nerves, but we must remember present grace. We must remember present grace. Look at your Bibles. He continues, and he says in verse number six, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking any spiritual gift, any spiritual gift. So look at what Paul does. This is amazing because Paul looks at this church and says, you guys presently, even though this is a messy situation, you guys are rocking when it comes to spiritual gifts. You are not lacking any. And he's saying that is a sign of God's grace. A spiritual gift is God working in a person to strengthen the body and mission of Christ through a special act of service. He's saying that a a very active or an obedient Christian has spiritual gifts that are on display and that are encouraging other believers and that are allowing people to experience God's grace and God's peace. Paul is saying, I can give God praise because even in the midst of this chaos, I can see him working supernaturally through you according to the gifts that God gave you. So he looks at them in the present and he says, I see God at work with you. Our problem, the reason we're so cold towards people who don't do exactly what we want them to do and who aren't where we want them to be is because we don't look for signs of God's grace presently in their life. Look, in chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, in chapter 12, verse uh, 12 through 14, Paul talks to the church about spiritual gifts. And he gets on them. He says, yes, the Lord has gifted you, the Lord is working, but you're misusing your spiritual gifts. But yet, in chapter 1, he doesn't bring that up. In chapter 1, he chooses to focus on the fact that they have spiritual gifts. So even in the rough, he finds a diamond. Are you the type of person that can find a diamond in a rough? When you see a Christian, a believer, or do you just focus on what they did wrong or what they're not doing? We've got some people, that's all they can focus on. They they look at the church, and they can never be happy about what God is doing in the church. Oh, our church is growing. Have you seen the Lord has brought 20 new members? Yeah, but brother such and such left because sister so-and-so said this to him. Look at somebody say, you need to extend grace. Oh, pastor really preached a a powerful sermon today. Yeah, but I think it could have been five minutes shorter. 
Do you see that the, the children's ministry has been, been packed and, and God is bringing new life to the church? Yeah, but I wish those ushers would be a little quicker and shutting up kids in the sanctuary. I can't hear when they preach. Sister Debbie and that choir, they know they sung today. Yeah, but they hadn't sung this type of song in a long time. What's wrong with them? Oh, it's tight, but it's right. Now, problem is, we don't look for grace. We don't remind ourselves that the person who may be offending you or not doing exactly what you want them to do is a person that God has saved. And there was a time when they weren't in the church. There's a time when they were like Paul, they were enemies to the church. We don't look for what God is doing in their life. Yeah, they may not know the Bible like you, but praise God that they come week in and week out. Past evidences of grace. Remember, present evidence of grace. And then we see Paul pointing to future grace. Future grace. At what he says in a word, verse 7. So that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is amazing. He says, Yo, Church of Corinth. I see what God has done in the past. I'm going to chisel at this rock to find what he's doing in the present. (laughs) But I'm going to to think about you in terms of the future. Do you ever think about your spouse in terms of the, the future? Yeah, he's slow to take out the trash, but do you ever think that God is sanctifying him? And that he's coming to church on Sundays and he's at Sunday school and he's at Bible study and that as that word keeps hitting him and moving him that one day he's not going to look so slothful. Or that coworker who tells you that they go to church every Sunday and tells you about the sermons but who, who has a, a tendency to use words that you don't agree with. Do you ever just stop and thank God that one day that person is going to stand before the same Jesus that you're going to stand before? with a new mouth that is no longer able to slip up and say words that you don't like? Do you ever stop and thank God for your pastor, who is a a, a young pastor, and who's who's learning to pastor and say, yeah, he's, he's weak in these areas, but I thank God that one day, five, ten years from now, God keeps on working on him. He will be more sensitive to my needs. But more than that, do you thank God that one day we will all, look at what the text says, unbelievable, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. One day that person who's a Christian that you're having a difficult time loving is going to be before the God of this universe and they're going to stand before him without guilt because they've just come so far and they're so good in themselves. No, because of what Jesus did for them. 
Because they have been justified in Christ. They have been declared righteous in Christ. Because Jesus' performance and status will satisfy the God on their behalf. One day we will all stand guiltless because of God, not because of our performance, but because of grace. So in the midst of that heated argument, in the midst of that bitterness, in the midst of air fighting, and y'all already know what air fighting is, after the person leaves, oh man, I wish I could have said I should have said, I got to learn to think quicker on my feet. Next time she says this, I'm going to say this. So so so-and-so comes in, hey, girl, how you doing? I'm all right. Just trying to bait her back into that conversation so you can hit her with that little punchline you've been working on all week. And that's a person that Christ died for. That person that you are holding in the dungeon of your heart with contempt is a person that Jesus bled on a cross for. Is a person that Jesus calls his beloved every single day. Is a person that God sings over. Is a person that God has called to his mission to save the lost. It's a person that God is saying, good and faithful servant. You've got to remember grace. You've got to remember that you say silly stuff. But God loves you. This is amazing. Look at what what Paul does. We see those three things. um, Past grace, present grace, and future grace. But, But I want to point out a few more things that we should be amazed at as we think about this text and set up the rest of the series. Number one, we want to know that Paul is not promoting cheap grace. Cheap grace is this idea that God never corrects us and that people aren't to correct us and that people should always give us grace and never correct us. That's what, not what Paul is doing here. He gives them a great introduction, very compassionate and heartfelt, but right after that, In verse 10, he begins to lean in a little bit. See, the Bible promotes grace, but it also promotes truth. And sometimes the reason why people are turned off from us is not because we're not speaking the truth. It's because we're not doing it with grace. So Paul is not promoting cheap grace. Number two, we see in this text that Paul is, is speaking life into the people of God. He's speaking life into the people of God. He is setting up a standard that says, uh, I I need to correct you, but before I do, I need to affirm you. Because that's what the gospel does. The gospel wounds us, but the gospel also heals us. He speaks life into them. Look at this. Look at verse number two. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified, in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place, who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Look at what he does. He, he calls them saints. The word saint is, is from the same root word in the Greek that we get the word holy, hagios, from. He calls this church who is living in sexual, sexual immorality, who is 
about to deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is taking each other to court, who is competing with each other in everything that they do, saints. We need to start affirming each other as God's people. The church of God in Corinth. Sanctified, set apart for God's use. We think of saints, we think of Catholicism. We think of people who die and who go on and to be canonized or seen as a special saint, Saint Peter, Saint Jude, Saint Barnabas. God says every single person in this room who has put their faith and trust in Jesus is a saint. <laughs> your husband, your wife, your child is a saint. Your coworker, your friend, your neighbor who, who leaves trash in your yard but who you know loves Jesus is a saint. Now you might want to use another S word that's short, but they're a saint. When was the last time you encouraged somebody by calling them a saint? Speak life into that person. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Stop reminding Christians and people of everything that they're not and start reminding them of everything that they are in Christ, chosen and beloved. And I, I declare that's why some people, most people don't, don't respond to you. And well, my, my wife, she just shut down. She just don't respond to you. It's because, maybe it's because you're over critiquing her. Okay, you don't like the way she chews uh, her peanuts or cashews. Like, that's just how she chews them. Start looking at her as a saint and start appreciating. Make yourself think it's cute. When we don't give grace, we become God or judge or arbiters over that person's faith. Christians, we should be the most gracious people, constantly reminding ourselves of past grace, present grace, and future grace. What would it look like for you to start complimenting, and not in a, in a way that's flattery, but for you to start, before you go and confront someone, to spend time writing down a list of everything that you are thankful for about that person? before going to him, say, hey, you know, I've got some things I want to bring up to you that's bothering me, but before I do, I do want you to know that I've really been thanking God for you because these areas you have been hitting the home run in. Another quick thought. It's not about the preacher's preaching. It's about the pupil's obedience. That's what we learn here. Paul, two years ago, started this church. He preached faithfully week in and week out. Apollos followed up and preached. You have the best preachers in the world pouring into Corinth and look at where they are. Fifth, think about this. The church may have problems, but she's still the church. 
we need to be careful of how we talk about the church. St. Augustine says something that may uh, uh, upset you, but he says this. He says, the church is a whore, but she's my mother. She cheats on Jesus. She displeases Jesus, but watch how you talk about her because she's my mother. I came to know Jesus because of her. And some people who are unsaved, who maybe you don't know Jesus today, maybe you just have a a negative attitude about the church. You constantly say to yourself, the church is made up of of hypocrites, so I'm not going to be a Christian. I want to tell you a hard truth. The reason that you're not a Christian is not because of the church, but the reason you're not a Christian is because you don't love Christ. When God calls you to Jesus, that's what he's doing. He's first calling you to Jesus. He says, follow Jesus. He doesn't say, follow all Christians. The only person who's not a hypocrite is Jesus. There's hypocrisy in all of us. So follow Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Become a part of the church and watch him transform you and the person who you think is a hypocrite. If that person says they love Jesus, if that person is not committing heresy, if that person is in regular fellowship, yes, they have some blind spot, yes, they are messed up, yes, they are sinners, but they are in the hands of the potter, and he is going to mold them and make them and shape them. The church of Corinth may be hellish in these 15 chapters, And they may be exposed as being hypocrites. But when we read 2 Corinthians, we learn that Paul is not dealing with the same issues that he dealt with in 1 Corinthians. Why? Because God had begun to change them. Christians, Wes, we are undone. We are messed up. We are messy. I do stupid things. I say stupid things from time to time. I am a, a, a sinner, but I'm not a professional sinner. I'm a sinner who falls into sin, who commits sin, but who Jesus is is purifying, who Jesus has his finger on, who Jesus is saying, five years from now, this won't be your issue. You'll have another issue, but that won't be your issue. Anybody there? Anybody can look back five years ago and you said, man, that was my issue, but now this is my issue. That's how God works. Yeah, but it's just like, still, so hypocritical. Well, beef gets E. coli, but you still go to Burger King. And doctors get sued for malpractice, but you still go to the doctor. Your problem is not with Christians. Your problem is with Christ. All these novels, Christians just read all these novels that just degrade the church. These scandalous novels about how the pastor's cheating and his wife is cheating and the church is cheating and everybody's just cheating. And then at the end, there's no gospel. There's nothing to set things in order. There's no positive person who comes in like Paul and who restores the church. And then we wonder why we're so negative to the church. The church may have some whorish ways, but she's my mother. 
We all need grace. Paul needed grace. Paul couldn't bash down there and anathesize down there and curse down because he knew that they belonged to the Lord. And the fact of the matter is we all are going to fall short of God's glory. And I pray that when I fall short of God's glory, that you will extend grace and speak truth. And I promise by God's grace, when you fall short, that I am going to be as gracious as possible, but speak truth. You know, there once was a a boy, the story is told about a young man who who wanted to, to gain weight. He was really small for his age. The story is told about how he was doing everything, drinking protein shakes and lifting weights because he wanted to reach 100 pounds. Week after week, he would go in and he would stand on a scale and, and he would look and he would constantly fall short. To one day he got on that scale. One day he got on that scale and he looked down and the scale went way above 100 and he put up his muscles and he began to get prideful only to find out that his older brother had sneaked in and put his foot on the scale. I'm so glad that Jesus is my older brother. I'm so glad that when I fall short of God's standard and God's glory, that he comes in and puts his foot on the scale. I'm so glad that my weight is not what's going to get me into heaven, but it's Jesus' weight. I'm so glad that it's it's not my goodness that's going to get me into heaven, but it's Jesus' goodness. I'm so glad that it's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's not my style, it's, it's, it's not my abilities, but it's Jesus' ability. I'm so glad that Jesus, who is grace incarnate, speaks on my behalf. I'm so glad that he shows up in that courtroom and he says, this is my trial and this is my child, I'll take it for I'm so glad that Jesus is everything that I'm not. I'm so glad that Jesus is a way out of no way. I'm so glad that Jesus is my rose of Sharon. I'm so glad that Jesus is a bridge over troubled water. I'm so glad that Jesus says that that he will forgive me if I confess my sin. I'm so glad that I've got an advocate, a friend, a, a father, a brother named Jesus. I'm so glad that Jesus went to the cross for me, messed up, silly old me. Broken and disgusted at times, me. Frustrated and mean at times, me. I'm so glad that the blood of Jesus covers my sin. But I'm able to rejoice today because there's some folk in here who's had their sins covered too. And that no matter how I feel or how I look at you, that Jesus says, Jamal, that's still my child. You still got to love them. Because my child went to Calvary for them. My child paid a price that you couldn't even pay for them. My child says forgiven is written on my child. My child may still be under construction, but I'm the construction worker. And I never lay down a brick in the wrong place. I never lay down mortar in the wrong place. I'm so glad that Jesus is everything I need. Is Jesus everything you need? When you look at your life, you say, Lord, I'm a mess. But Jesus said, that's all right, because in order to spell Messiah, you've got to spell mess. And anytime you look at your own mess or somebody else's mess, I want you to see grace splattered all over them. Grace in the morning. Grace at night. Grace when they get on your nerve. Grace when they talk about you. Grace when they cut you. 
Grace when they laugh at you. Grace when they don't do what they should do. Grace is what we need. There's somebody here who's never experienced the grace of Jesus, who's never accepted the gift of eternal life. Today, we want to invite you to know Jesus. There's somebody here that has somebody in the dungeon of their heart. You are holding on to that person, and every time you, you sneak, you open and slide that dungeon door, you see them, your heart is filled with bitterness. Today, I want to call you to release that person. I want to call you to cry out to God and say, God, give me the grace to love them. They hurt me. They made fun of me. They ignored me. They boast in front of me about what they have and what I don't have. Give me the grace to release them from the dungeon of my heart and to love them. We're, the church of Corinth really is every church. I'm sure if we did a roll call, even in this church, most of the sins that they committed will be listed. You may not know about them. I may not know about them. But that's the church. The bride of Christ is a work in progress. Give her grace. I'm going to ask the deacons and the ministers to come up, and we just want to we just want to pray with you. If there's a need today, let us pray with you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you've been bitter towards the church and you said, I'll never join another church because that church hurt me, let us pray with you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we beg you. We beg you to know Jesus. Let's stand to our feet.